Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. Welcome this morning. Again, welcome to all of you that are here. Hey, uh, this morning, how many of you in here are the kind of people that when they start playing Christmas music in October, you're like, yes. Anybody here like that? All right. I love you. How many of you in here, this is, this is a time, right, we're going to have some confession here. How many of you in here already have all of your Christmas shopping done right now? Okay, you shouldn't raise your hand because secretly we hate you, all right? <laughs> That's not even fair. You're way too organized for us. Man, it can be kind of stressful, can it, to, you know, like shop for gifts. And uh, I was thinking about uh, going way back when my kids were a bit younger I just got it in my head one time that uh, one Christmas that I was going to go ahead and get my wife the perfect Christmas gift. Now, most of us guys are not that gifted when it comes to clothing, and I'm one of them. But I just had it in my mind, this was before you could go online, that I'm going to get her the perfect leather jacket. She's just going to look cool in that leather jacket. So I went to a leather jacket outlet, you know, where there were like thousands of them, which gives me a chance, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, hold on. I think I found one here, and I think this is like in her color wheel or whatever you ladies call that. I don't know if it's fall or autumn or spring or it's snow. I don't even know the difference. I just know that you know, and it's important. But I'm like, she looks good in this color. So I'm like, okay, I've got this thing covered. I've got it nailed. But you know what? I'm not going to take any chances here. I'm going to find someone that is almost exactly her size. So I find this petite little lady walking through there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry to bother you. This is going to sound weird, but I want to get my wife this jacket, and you're about her size. Would you mind trying it on for me and just seeing if this actually fits? She tries it on, and she goes, oh, this is awesome. So here it is. It's Christmas morning, and we're all just sitting there, and we're opening our gifts as a, as a family before we go to the big gathering later on that day with the big family, and, and we're opening the gifts, and I've kind of got mine stealthy back here in the back, like no one knows it. I'm like Jesus. I'm saving the best wine for last, you know? It's like I got this covered, and I have this smirk going on. It's like, oh, you don't even know what's coming, Lord. I got the perfect gift. You're going to love it. You might even do a, a round-off flip-flop or something that you haven't done since high school. You're going to love this thing. So... At the end, I pull it out. And you know what? Her reaction was not what I expected. It's kind of like a quizzical look, like, huh. I was like, okay, that's all right. We can overcome your unbelief. We could get past that. <laughs> and so, like I said, here, try it on. She tries it on, and she goes, you bought me a man's jacket. I was like, oh, no. I am still scarred from that situation. I no longer try to guess. I'm like, what do you want? I'll write a check. Here's my card. Let's take the money out. Just get it yourself, all right? This is on you. But how many of you know, sometimes finding that perfect gift, like for my parents who are in their 80s, what do you get your parents who have everything? It's stressful. It's like, what can I do to be creative this Christmas? So we feel all this pressure, and we're running around trying to get these gifts, and then you kind of secretly hope that when people open those gifts up and they're smiling, that it's not one of those, like, fake smiles, like, <laughs> I'm going to re-gift this one. You know, it's like, no. It's stressful because we're, like, also in ninja mode. We're, like, secretively doing this, right? We can't get help. It's got to be secretive. So we get a little stressed out at Christmas time. Now I would just say this. As a society, we are living at a pace that is way more stressful than any generation before us has ever lived at. 
I mean, we are on the move. As a matter of fact, uh, a study was done in the spring of 2014 by Penn State that involved over 100,000 students, and it made national headlines for this reason. They found that for the very first time that anxiety had surpassed depression as the number one leading mental health issue facing college students. And here's the thing, when you decide to tap into the wisdom that is Google, and there's a lot there, right? When we wanna know something, what do we do? We go to the wisdom of Google. And when you go to the wisdom of Google, you'll find helpful stuff, but you know what? Most of it is about eliminating conflict, eliminating negativity. It's like remove this, remove that, remove this. And sometimes after you go through all those things, you find that I'm right back in this place of being torn up by this debilitating stress and fear and anxiety and worry like it hasn't made it better. And so what I wanna ask you this morning is simply this, what is it that keeps you awake at night? What makes you lose sleep? What is it that just kind of nags at you? It's like that puppy dog that follows you around and no matter how much you try to ignore it or get away, it just kind of follows you. It's that worry that just won't go away. What is that thing? You know, is it a financial issue? Is it a career issue? Is it your health? Is it your children? I don't know what it is, but God does. And what I want to talk about today is a gift that God has put under your Christmas tree just for you. And this gift isn't gonna make all your problems go away, but this gift will certainly help you deal with those problems. And the gift I'm talking about is the gift of peace. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And here's the main thought I want you to catch this morning when you walk out of here, and it's simply this. God's gift to us is perfect peace in an imperfect world. Perfect peace in an imperfect world. Because how many of you know that outside of yourself, there's a lot going on. And do I have any self-admitted control freaks in this place? How many know you cannot control the external, can you? No matter how hard you try, you cannot control it. But I'll tell you what can happen, God's peace can regulate what's going on internally. So let's look at the Gospel of John, chapter 14, and these are the words that Jesus is saying on the night he's betrayed. This conversation lasts for five chapters. And he said some things because they have him pegged to be the king next week in their minds. And they're gonna sit by his throne. And now he's talking about going. And he's talking about leaving them. And he's talking about going to a place they can't come to right now. And so they're kind of on the edge of their seat going, hold on a second, we're not liking what we're hearing here. We're feeling a little bit upset. What's going on here? What kind of Kool-Aid did you drink today, Jesus? Because you're sounding a little bit funny. And Jesus says these words. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So Jesus said, I'm leaving you with this gift, peace of mind and heart. Now here's the thing, most of us are gonna both give and receive gifts, but here's here's a question I have for you. What are you doing to earn those gifts? What are the people you're giving them to earning, what are they doing to earn the gifts you're going to give? Hopefully the answer is nothing. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It says, I've given you the gift of peace, heart, peace of heart, peace of mind, right? Now, he says, this is a gift the world cannot give. 
So you and I cannot find this gift on Amazon. We can't find it online. We can't find it in a bottle. We can't find it in a pill. We can't find it in a joint. We can't find it in a relationship. There's only one place you can find this peace, and that's in the Prince of Peace. And here's the other thing. I don't know about you, but, you know, I have these images of what peace should look like. You ever just kind of do that? Like peace, somehow, like the Zen Buddhists have quartered the lotus position. It's like, wow, that looks peaceful. Like, that must be peace. But can I tell you something about peace? There's a militant side of peace. It's not all passive because Jesus goes on to say, look at this verse here. It says, so don't be troubled or afraid. That word troubled means to be agitated, worked up, full of anxiety, full of fear, stressed out. That's where you got knots in your stomach. He's saying, don't be that way. And don't be afraid. And here's the thing. The peace of God has the ability to evict stress, anxiety, and fear from your heart and from your mind. It can expel it. It's powerful. Let's go on a few chapters later. Look at what he says in verse John 16, verse 33. I've told you these things. Now, what things did he just tell them? He told them, you're going to have all kinds of trouble so that in me you may have perfect peace. Listen to this. Here's, here's what he tells them. In this world you have tribulation and distress and suffering But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. So Jesus just told them, you're going to go through some storms in life. You are. There's going to be stuff going on around you. And I'm telling you this now, and I've told you that the Holy Spirit is going to bring these words to your memory when you're in the middle of this storm, when people are persecuting you. You're going to remember that I said, hey, guess what? In me, you have perfect peace in me. Not in the external circumstances, but in me, you have perfect peace. And here's the thing about peace. It allows us to be what? To be courageous. To be confident. Why? Because peace allows us to stand our ground and not back down when things are flying all around us. Part of the armor of God is your shoes. Do you ever notice whatever shoes you put on today or what you're going to walk in? And what does the Bible say? It says, put on the shoes of the gospel of what? Peace. Put on the shoes of peace. And what are, what are your shoes for? So that you could stand firm. So that peace allows us to live in a place where we're not making decisions based on our fears or our worries, but we're making decisions based on the peace of God. We're letting it call the shots. We're maintaining it. So let's talk about peace today. I was a child of the 60s and 70s, and, you know, we all walked around saying, peace, man, peace. And that came back at some level, but a lot of us, we don't really know what peace is. But the Greek word and the Hebrew word are very similar. So we're going to look at the Hebrew word shalom, and look at what it means. It means wholeness, completeness, and as the rabbis say, nothing missing, nothing broken. I mean, just take that in. What is the peace of God supposed to produce in us? Wholeness, completeness. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Here's another meaning of peace. It's the way things ought to be. Do you ever have a really close relationship with someone that just kind of blew up and you don't even talk to them anymore? And do you ever find yourself saying, man, I really wish that things were the way they were? Or maybe you turn on the internet or you watch the news, which I cannot watch a lot of, I'm going to be honest with you, and you go, oh 
OMG, like, can't people just do what Jesus, can't they just love their neighbor? Can't we just treat people with honor and respect that we disagree with? You know, can't, do we have to just sling all this hatred and vitriol poison at each other? Can't we just get along? You know, what you're saying is, man, I really wish things were different. I really wish that, that we could just be at peace with one another. What you're saying is, that's the way it ought to be. That's saying, I'm wishing for shalom. Because shalom is all things in their rightful place doing what they were created to do. There's a harmony to it. Now listen, there's a couple of guys I'm gonna quote here that are way smarter than me, okay? One is Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor and scholar. And listen to what he says about shalom. It's usually translated peace in English Bibles, but it means far more than our English word conveys. It means complete reconciliation, a state of, and I want you to pay attention to these next words, of the fullest flourishing in every dimension. Of the fullest flourishing, what? In every dimension of our life. Well, I thought peace was just one thing. No, it affects every dimension of your life. Physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right and perfect and filled with joy. Then the author of the message translation, who I, I love that translation, Eugene Peterson, look at what he says, and he's also a language expert in the languages of the Bible. Listen to what he says about shalom. Shalom peace is one of the richest words in the Bible. You can no more define it by looking up its meaning in the dictionary than you can define a person by his or her social security number. It gathers all aspects of wholeness that result from God's will being completed in us. It is the work of God that when complete, releases streams of living water in us and pulsates with eternal life. Now, I'm saving this last sentence here because I want you to think about this. When I read this, I have never thought about the, this being part of God's shalom or peace, never. Never related it to God's peace. But again, peace is what? Wholeness, completeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Now you see the connection, watch this. Every time Jesus healed, forgave, or called someone, we have a demonstration of shalom. Guys, that's powerful. What is the peace of God? What is its purpose in our life? I'm telling you, it's to bring us to a place of wholeness and completeness where there is nothing missing and nothing broken. And I love that. You know, I was thinking of this, how could I describe peace? It's a number of years ago, my wife and I decided that we were gonna get a couple of puppies for Christmas. And so at that time, uh, we lived in Southern California and I had a, a car that was, you know, V8 engine, it could just truck along, you know? And uh, every so often when it rained, if the gas attendants out there didn't cover those, man those little holes quick enough, you'd get water in the gas. And a couple of months before that trip, I had some water in my tank, went to the store guys, poured some solution in there, burned it out, thing ran, purred like a kitten, as they say. And so just before we went on this 200 mile round trip, I thought, it's running rough again. I'm gonna just go ahead and put some of that stuff, that treatment in there and get rid of this water in there. Well, I did, and it didn't do anything because for 200 miles, we kind of limped along and I was like, oh my gosh, are we gonna make it? I don't wanna break down. I don't wanna have to pay for a 100 mile tow. I have AAA, but not the long distance one. And I'm like, I don't wanna pay for a 100 mile tow. I gotta get it back. So we kind of limped all the way there and limped all the way back. And I was like, okay, let's figure this out. Mechanic plugs it in. He goes, oh, this just needs a tune up, Graham. You've got some bad spark plugs. Do you know what my car was doing? It was misfiring. What does that mean? It wasn't firing on all cylinders. It wasn't operating the way it was created and designed to operate. Sure, it was moving, but in a very 
broken, kind of limping fashion. It was kind of limping its way through life, if you will. And that's a picture of a lot of us. If we're not opening our hearts up to the shalom or the peace of God, then very often, yes, we're moving forward every day, but we're moving forward with a whole lot of brokenness in us. And I just want you to know, God loves you so much today that he does not want you to live that way. He doesn't want our life controlled by worries and fears and stress. He's given us his gift of peace. But I know this, some of the gifts that you give need to be maintained. So Jesus has given his peace to us. But one gift I got right was the biggest gift I've ever given my wife was a Can-Am. She wanted it, and I gave her a Can-Am. But I noticed that we've got to maintain that thing. But it's the gift that just keeps on giving as long as you maintain it. Listen, the gift of peace just keeps on giving all the days of your life, but you've got to maintain that. So how do you do that? I'm going to show you how to do that. Ready? Now, when I turn to this scripture, there's some of you that know this so well, you're going to mentally just shut down right now. You're going to go, I know this. Don't do that. Watch this. Do not worry about anything. Let's just stop right there. God, is this a joke? Seriously. Don't worry about anything. Come on, like, seriously, have you been here? And he's like, yes, I have. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. How many know when you tell your children, do not cross the street without looking both ways, you mean it. Or how about when your kids are bugging you and at the end of the day you say, do not ask for that again or I will kill you. You actually mean it at that point, right? God is saying, do not worry. Well, why would he not want us to worry our way through life? Well, we know we can read medical journals and find out that stress will destroy your physical health, but that's not the only reason. He doesn't want us to worry because when we worry, what we're doing is we're taking our focus off of what God wants to do in our life today, right now, and we're placing it on something that doesn't really matter that much, something that we're not gonna change through our worry because worry, Jesus said, is powerless to change anything. It's powerless to produce a result. And not only did Jesus say that, but Jesus said in the parable of the farmer or the sower, whatever you like to call it, that one of the things that worry will do is it'll choke out what God is trying to do in your life. So when he says, do not worry, it's because he wants you to flourish. So do not worry. What well, if I'm not going to worry, then what should I do? He goes on to say, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. Pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. So here's a, a question for you. How do you know what you should pray about if you're worried? Well, I don't know. I have to think about that. I'll tell you what. Does it fit under the umbrella of everything? Then you should pray. Why should you pray? Because he told you to. And he, they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We really want to know how to pray. Okay, well, here's one aspect of prayer. You should go to the Father and say, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Give us the things that we need that only you can give. We pray because he told us to. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you in here like peanut, or are you like, peanut butter sandwiches. Put your hand up. Just be bold. That's a lot more than the first service, I'm telling you. But watch this. Now, that was a good response. I'd say we had about 20% of you that like just peanut butter sandwich. Now, how many of you in here like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? That's what I'm talking about right there, okay? Peanut butter sandwich, that's like prayer, right, without the jelly. Like peanut butter and jelly go to prayer and thanksgiving go together. And why in the world would we give thanks when we pray? Because this is the confidence 
that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that we already have what we've asked for. Well, I have to feel like I, no, no, it's nothing to do with your feelings. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. Just like you're hearing me, he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, then he's already sent the answer. So we give thanks. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to show you how this works today in a real, real simple way. I'm going to show you what to do with your worries. So I'm going to ask Corey to come and help me out here. Now, Corey, is, he's, he's a great athlete. <laughs> this guy has played football, baseball, snowboarding. His snowboarding career is over because he flew into a tree. But, but he is a good athlete, and he's a good sport. He's a friendly guy if you know Corey. This is my son's shortstop glove. I don't even fit in this thing, man. I don't even know how this guy fit his hand in here. Anyways, there we go. All right. So what do we do with worries? If, if I'm not going to worry, I can't just say, well, I'm not going to worry. I better replace it with something, right? Well, what am I replace it with? Prayer. Well, here's how this works. Let's say this baseball represents your children. Maybe your child is three. 33, 63, I don't know. They never stop being your kids and you can't worry about them. And I don't know what their situation is. Maybe they're far from God or maybe they're struggling in school or they're struggling with school work or maybe it's a social thing or maybe they're being bullied or who knows. Or maybe when, they, when, when it's time to take a test from the teacher says it's gonna, it's gonna be the time to test something, maybe they, their stomach ties up in knots because they don't like tests. I don't know what the situation is, but you can spend a lot of time worrying about how your kids are going to do. But what if we took those worries and we turned them into prayer and we said something like this, Father, you said that you gave Daniel and his three companions 10 times more wisdom than what he was going to be tested for. Father, you said that you would surround us with favor like a shield. So I pray that over my kids at school. Father, you said the seed of the righteous would be blessed. So I thank you that my children are blessed. Father, you said that me and my house would be saved. Whatever the promises are, we take that. We say, Father, so I'm asking you to move in their life today. I'm praying for your kingdom to come right now and for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I thank you that you're working on Johnny. Thank you that you're working on Susie. You know what? There's rumors that they're going to shut down part of the plant. There's going to be 200 layoffs next year. I might be one of the cuts. I'm really not sure about what we're going to do financially if that happens. Or right now, I'm not only thinking about Christmas, I'm just thinking about how can I pay my electric bill? Or I'm about to transition to retirement. I'm really worried. Will I have enough money? Is there enough? Is there going to be enough for me? Or I don't know what that financial situation is. Or maybe it's like, maybe you're younger and you're saying, hey, I'm coming out of college and I'm concerned about what kind of career path I'm going to take. I want to make the right choice. So what do we do? Take those worries. Father, thank you that you said you would lead me and guide me with your eye, the steps of a good person ordered by the Lord. So thank you that you're going to direct me to the right career. Father, thank you. You said that the Lord is our shepherd, that we shall not lack, that we will never be in need. You said that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ. You said that if we seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, all the things that everybody else is chasing down, you'll add them to our lives. Father, we take all these promises. Now, Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to meet that need. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much that you care about me. Thank you so much that you care about me. 
and that you've promised that this is who you'll be in my life, that I'm under the protection of a shepherd who says he'll take care of me. In the same way that I made a commitment to my little newborn babies that you know what, you'll never have to worry. I'll provide for you until you're old enough to do it yourself. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Our Heavenly Father, we're under his protection, and he's given us many promises about who he'll be and what he'll do in our life. Father, my mom is going in for a biopsy next week. They suspect cancer. We don't know the answer. We don't know what's going to happen. But, Father, it says in Exodus 15, 26, that you, you call yourself the Lord, my physician. You are the great physician. You are the healer. Lord, it says in Psalm 103, I should not forget your benefits because you forgive every sin and you heal every disease. So, Father, I thank you that you love my mom, you care for her, and I'm praying that you would just touch her with your healing power in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys ready for the pop fly next? He's going to shag it right out there. Be careful. I'm going to throw it over that way, all right, guys? Now, here, here's what the Bible says. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares upon him. Why would you do that? Because he cares for you. Now, what is, the, what is the principle there? That I've taken a burden out of my hands and I've placed it in God's hands. Now, here's what's going to happen to you. When you pray, about a minute after you pray, guess what's going to come back? I hope little Johnny is okay. I hope that when he takes that test, and you know what you're doing when you do that, you're coming back and you're saying, God, I got this. I'm going I'm to take this worry back out of your hands. Here's, here's the problem with taking the worries out of God's hands. Now, the ability to solve those problems is based on your strength, your wisdom, your knowledge, your ability, your resources. But when you take them out of your hands and put them in the hands of the great I am, he's got all the ability, all the wisdom, all the resources necessary to deal with that situation. And that's where we need to leave them. That's why that word cast means to throw it once and for all into God's hands and leave it there. Now, how do you do that? After you do it, you just come to a place of thanksgiving. Let's everybody give Corey a hand here. for. He's a perfect nine for nine. Former first baseman, I'm guessing. Did you play first base? All right. All right. So what do we do when we've given thanks? Well, we've done our part. Now, here's the other thing. God's going to do his part. I'm going to read from that scripture one more time because verse 7 goes on to say, if I can find it here, and God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's just a military term, keep, guard. And when they used that term, what it meant was that when a city was about to be invaded, they would surround that city with soldiers to guard it from an invasion. Listen, when you pray and give thanks, now you've done your part. Guess what? God has given you a promise. My peace will guard your heart, your mind in Christ Jesus. And he is the one that's going to keep that word. He's going to keep that word. And listen, here's what another translation says. And this peace will control the way you think and the way you feel. What does that mean? That means right in the middle of your crazy, you can have peace, perfect peace. Right in, in the middle of your hot mess, you can have perfect peace, literally. And so what do we do after we do all that? Well, then we turn our focus Godward, right? We turn our mind and our thoughts. Why? Because now we have peace guarding our heart and our mind. So now we are from a place of peace getting to choose what we want to think about. So what do we want to think about? It says in verse eight, summing it all up, friends, 
I'd say you'll do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in Him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. So what we do with our mind is important. It is critical to maintaining this gift of peace, right? And here's the thing. If I was a betting man, and I am not, I would bet that nobody's going to go home and memorize those seven or eight things that we're supposed to think on. And you know what? Truth be told, I'm not going to do it either. But let me give you a little tip. This is a little life hack, right, for that verse. If you choose to think on a scripture, a promise, a verse, or on the character of who God is, like, for instance, he is good. God is love. He is faithful, right? Or he is my shepherd, or he is my provider, or he is the one who gives me victory. Whatever it is, think about his character, and his promises and the scriptures. If you end up letting your mind turn to those things, you'll end up thinking on the things in that list. It'll just happen. So how does this work? How does this work in a practical way in our lives? I wanna just tell you a story. Now, I know a lot of people when they see pastors, they're like, oh, you guys, you know, you're not in the real world. You kind of live in this special bubble and you know, life is just so wonderful for you and you, you can't relate to us, us folks out here. And I want you to know that's not true. As a matter of fact, I said to the guy last night who brushes my teeth for me, I said, listen, <laughs> we're just like you, you know? So I'm just having a little fun with you guys. <laughs> so I remember, you know, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God so that when you face an evil day, you'll be able to stand. And I can remember one week that to me wasn't an evil day, it was an evil week. And what happened was um, I was a worship leader at that time um, in this church. I was also an associate pastor. And so the pastor had just gone on vacation, the lead pastor, and sort of like, you know, put me in the driver's seat for a couple of weeks. And sure enough, I mean, right out of the gate, a couple of people got in a little skirmish over a, a child and, and a helicopter parent erupted, you know, and threatened to sue the church. And I knew it was just to kind of intimidate me into giving them their way. And I was like, no, nah, that's not going to happen. Um, but it was going on. I was like, okay, well, we've got to deal with it. And then while I was being threatened with the lawsuit, I actually was served with a million dollar lawsuit over an accident that happened on my property. And so I knew this passage, just like you guys know it. And you know what? I started to do it. I started to pray. I started to give thanks. But every day there was a new twist, a new turn, had to talk to an attorney or whatever else was going on file reports. And I was just praying, bringing these worries to God in prayer. And then I would put on a worship CD. We didn't have like Spotify or whatever you use. That's what I use. We didn't have playlists, but I just put on some worship music and I began to worship God. And right about three days into this situation, I was leading worship on a Wednesday night. And all of a sudden we went through our set list and we just got to a time where the musicians were just kind of playing quietly. And it was just kind of a sweet presence in there. And everything had kind of quieted down in my soul. And God spoke to my heart. And he spoke a word to me about that lawsuit. And the word was just simply this. You ready for this impactful word? It was just simply this. This will come to nothing. I'm from Ireland. I can only take small words, right? So it's like, this will come to nothing. Well, I knew that that was based on what the prophet Isaiah had said. 
when he said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. What does that mean? It will never come to a place of success. It'll never reach a place of fruition in your life. But the Lord says, I'll bring it down. Every tongue that's risen against you, I'll bring it down. For this is your heritage as the servants of the Lord and your righteousness is of me. And you know what I did? Every time my thoughts would turn to, you can lose everything. You could lose your house. You could lose every penny you have in the bank. You could lose it all and have to start over. That wasn't a very nice thought. But you know what? I would just say, Father, thank you that this is coming to nothing. And it took a year to come to nothing, but guess what? It came to nothing. And so for that year, I was able to what? To walk in the peace of God. Listen, can I tell you why you and I are able to walk in the peace of God? It's for one reason. It's, it's found in Isaiah 53, 5, and here it is. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. Do you know everything that I talked about today is possible not because of how smart you are spiritually, not because of how you know, wise you are, not because of how long you've known God or how you know, shortly you've known God. It has nothing to do with any of that. The reason this peace is for you and the reason you can walk in it all the days of your life is because Jesus died and took a beating to pay for your peace. And when it says he was beaten that we might have peace, you know, don't think that they just blindfolded him, plucked some beard out, hit him with their fists, which they did, slapped him with the open hand a few times. It says that they put him, you know, on a post, stretched out, and these soldiers were killers, trained killers, and when they whipped someone, many men, many men died at that whipping post because they'd put 39 heavy lashes and they'd use whips that had pieces of bone and metal in them. So when you whip somebody, it wasn't like you watch some of these movies where you see like little stripes across their back. No, the whole back would be opened up like as a massive wound. And a lot of men just bled out. Jesus almost did. He was so weak he couldn't carry his own cross. They had to have someone carry his cross, right? And think about this. He's on the cross and to breathe in that crucifix position you have to push up on your ankles, which have a nail through them, and pull on your hands just to exhale, <gasps> and you labor. Why would he take that kind of beating? For God so loved the world because of his great love for us, because of his great love for us. And there are people here today in, in your life is being, I mean, you, your life is a mess. You have debilitating fear and worry that's just trying to, to, to run the show. And you know what? Your heavenly father loves you so much that he wants to offer you freedom this morning. So I want to just close with this story and then just, just pray for you guys. When I was um, in fourth grade, um, my uncle Charlie took me and my cousin Gary, who was two years older than me, uh, to a man-made lake about 30 minutes north of where I live called Castaic. That was just open and beaches were crowded, but it was really kind of a cool place because they had this barge of sorts out there where like if you could swim out to it, you could kind of hang out there with all the cool people, the older kids. And so my uncle said to us, he said, hey, do you guys want to swim out to that barge out there? And I was like, yeah, we want to do that. So the fourth grade version of me gets halfway out there 
and my fourth grade arms and legs start to tire. And you know what? I did what a lot of kids do. I panicked. And when you panic in the water, it's never a good thing. And I panicked and I started to go under and I said, help, help. You know, I'm flailing. And my uncle rushed over to me, put his arm under me, pulled me on my back and then brought me to shore. He rescued me. You know what I didn't need from my Uncle Charlie at that point? I did not need my Uncle Charlie to come along and say, no, now, Grim, I know you're a little panicked right now, but I'm going to give you a swimming lesson. I'm going to teach you how to swim right now because you really need to know how to swim better. Listen, why am I saying that? Because some of you in here, you've been listening and you're hearing the word peace and there is so much going on in your life right now. You're so overwhelmed by life that I'm almost like Charlie Brown's teacher where it's like, wah, 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 wah. And you're like, I, I, I saw the baseball thing. I know I'm supposed to pray, but I, I don't have the energy. Like, I, I, can't even, I, I can't even think that way. I have good news for you today. I want to share a principle with you that Jesus taught the apostles and disciples. Both with the 12 apostles, Jesus sent them out on a mission trip. And later on in the book of Luke, he sent out 72 people on the same kind of mission trip. And what he said was, I don't want you to take any supplies with you. I want you to learn how to trust me. But I'm going to send you out to cities to preach and to demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. And here's one of the things that's going to happen. When you go into that city, you don't know anyone. I want you to find a person of peace. Find a man of peace. And when you find a man of peace, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bless or say shalom to that house. More than just a greeting, but shalom. And he said, and if that man is a person of peace, then your blessing will remain. It'll stay there. And if he is not a man of peace, your blessing will, just like a ball off a wall, rubber ball off a wall, it'll come right back at you and you'll have to move on. What is a man of peace? Somebody whose heart is open to God. That's simple. Someone whose heart is open to God. So in just a moment, if you're one of those people that you're, you're like me and you feel like you're drowning in life, you know what? That's one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ. We get to bear one another's burdens. And one of the things we're going to do for you is we're going to pray, but we're going to bless you. And if your heart is open, I believe that that blessing of peace will remain with you. And here's the other thing. There's some of you here that you're saying, you know what? I don't even know. If, if I have this peace in my life. I'm not even sure. Like you've been talking about Jesus. I'm not really sure if I know him. Well, today I want to give you an opportunity. And I want to say one last thing here before we pray. Next week, we have something called Christmas at BC. And it's one of the most amazing experiences that we have here. We'll have a couple thousand people come through here. And I tell you, it is amazing. But one of the things that happens every single year is we'll have people come and make decisions to follow Jesus, that'll change their life. Do you know how those people get here? They get here because awesome people like you invite them. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're, you know, someone that knows some people that, that they're kind of on your radar, I have some people on my radar that I'm planning to invite this week, some that I've already sent something to. I wanna encourage you to do that, but I wanna just pray one more thing, person of peace thing. What if, this is just a what if. What if we pray today as a church and said, Lord, I know that not everybody in my city or my county is open to God right now. Some people are not open to God right now. They're not. But there are other people and God has already been working on their heart. Some of you were that way. 
before you ever said yes to following him, God was drawing you. He was pulling you. You felt something. You knew something. You hadn't acted on it yet. But there's people like that all around us, and God is drawing them. They're people of peace. And you know what? When you invite them, this is going to be their time. I don't know who they are, and you don't know who they are, but what if we prayed and said, Lord, would you allow us, just as we do our normal life, nothing crazy, just as we do life this week, would you allow our past to intersect with a person of peace that we can invite? And then here's the thing. When you pray and you expect, what do you do? You start to look. Who, where's the answer? Who's the person? You don't have to be kooky, spooky, or weird. You can do it in creative ways, whether it's with cookies that you bake. That's what my daughter-in-law, my daughter-in-law gets into every home in every neighborhood she lives in through baking cookies for people. My son and daughter-in-law interact with Muslim people all the time. You know how they get in? They use food. It's the common language. They use food. Maybe you're going to go to a restaurant today. Leave a big honking tip. What's a big honking tip? Maybe the size of your bill or what you can do. And then make sure there's an invitation with it, right? Just be creative, whatever, whatever you want to do. Let's pray. Father, first of all, we're praying, Lord, would you give us opportunities? Would you, uh, as Paul said, give us open doors? Would you give us opportunities? And Lord, would you allow us, just as we go about our normal everyday life, would you allow our path to intersect with a man or a woman or person of peace this week, Lord, we're asking for that. Someone that we would be able to extend an invitation to, Lord. It's not on us to convince or convict anyone. It's your work, but Lord, we're just praying that you'll give us those opportunities. Father, not only that, we, we lift up those people that are here this, this morning, and they're the people that <laughs> I've been there, and, 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 and I've seen others that, that I love dearly that have been there, where the life is so overwhelming that they don't have the strength to do anything, Lord. But they're here today for a reason. And Lord, today we want to be a family. We want to be the body of Christ. And um, Jesus, you said, freely you have received, freely give. You've given us your peace. And so we do want to pray that right now. We pray that the God of peace and the God who gives peace will be with them from this moment forward, that your peace, Lord, will sit down and camp out in their hearts and in their minds so that even the way they think and the way they feel will begin to be altered from this moment forth. That's what we ask for, Father. And we release that blessing in Jesus' name. And also, if there's anyone here and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I'm ready to make that decision. You know, I feel like God has been doing a work in my heart. And I feel like I'm ready to say, you know what, Jesus, I may not understand everything about the Bible. I may not understand everything about you, but I know you are the Son of God. I believe in you. I believe that you died, that you rose from the grave. I believe in what you did for me. And you know what? I'm ready to say, you know what? I'm not perfect, but here I am. If you'll have me, if you'll take my life, I want to make a decision today to follow you. If that's you today, or maybe you made that decision a long time ago, and it's been an awful long time since you've been in church, but you're here today for the first time in a long time. You're saying, you know, one time I knew that, but I lost my way. And today I want to make that commitment to follow him. If that's you, I want you to just do something with me. I want you to just pray with me. And when we pray, just know this, that what you say from your heart, God's going to hear. And his promise to you is that when you reach out to him and you call on his name, that he will give you a new heart. doesn't mean a new physical valve that's going to pump blood to the rest of your body. It just means that he'll put a new spirit or a new heart within you, that you'll have this life from above. Enter into your life promise of eternal life will enter into your life. And the Bible calls that being saved. So if you're here today and you're ready to do that, 
and just pray this prayer with me. And church, would you help me? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. Today, I confess you as my Lord. Forgive my sins. I make a decision to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.